Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. Last week, we began our series called 4-H, The Real Work of Relationship. Now, if you don't know what 4-H is, uh, don't worry about it. I didn't know what it was either. You can go back and listen to last week's message on the podcast and kind of catch up a little bit. But just in general, 4-H is kind of an after-school program that has an agricultural influence that teaches school-age kids life principles outside of the classroom. And so I was involved in this, and you can hear the story about how I got involved with it um, as a young kid. Um, from the message last week, but we basically planted a home garden in, um, in an area of land that was assigned to me and some of my friends and um, some parents who were our supervisors and the, our chaperones during that time frame. So um, we drew the correlation between pulling the weeds, which was the number one job we had in that field and in that, in that area of land was pulling those weeds out so the plants could grow. And we talked about um, a verse in John uh, or a passage in John where we, um, where, where we know that the seed of God's word can find great and fertile soil in us and can grow and we need to do some work to keep uh, to, to tend the garden of that relationship and and why do we have to do that because any lasting relationship requires work this is the same uh, and and since this is the greatest relationship that we will ever encounter with god through faith in christ we need to be willing to do the necessary work to remove the things that would kill the word of god and the relationship with god growing in us and express our love to God through following His commands. I, I just, you know, we gotta one more time remind us that we're not about trying to follow the rules to earn God's love. We are doing um, what He's asking of us out of a loving response and a relationship to Him. <clears throat> so we're gonna talk for the next four weeks of uh, four areas that we need to make sure and remove the the, the weeds from our life in these areas. And they're all four of them. We're going to start with the letter H, 4H. So yeah, we're kind of nifty like that. So we're, well, we're not really nifty at all. But um, the first one is that we're going to be talking about today. The first H is, and it's the first line in your notes there, it's the head, the head, the old noggin right here. Now there's a lot going on in our heads between our ears. Now you may know someone who you kind of dispute that with. You may say, "Mm, I know some people who may not have a whole lot going up on uh, going on up here in between their ears. You know, their elevator may not go all the way to the top, or they might be a few sandwiches short of a picnic, or all their pistons aren't firing, whatever the analogy is for you. But if that's you, please, and you're sitting with them, uh, listening to this or watching this, please don't poke them or point them and say, he's talking about you. Just exercise some kindness right there, especially if it's a wife to your husband. Just leave, leave the poor man alone. But we're going uh, to be talking about the head. And the reason we're talking about the head today is our head is the environment where our thoughts grow. It's the environment where our thoughts grow. And so the, the Bible has a lot to say about Um, our thought life and our patterns of thinking. And so we're going to look at just one of these scriptures today that helps us deal with it because it's a really big one. And it's in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. And it says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. 
We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. <clears throat> those last seven words in those two verses right there are, make a really brief statement, but a huge implication. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. So if we're going to talk about taking every thought captive and changing our way of thinking, we first need to ask a question and answer a question. So that next line there on your notes, it's this. What is a thought? We have to define what is a thought. <clears throat> what I found during my study is remarkable. And, and you may be familiar with the person I'm going to talk about here real quick. And if you are, you understand just how great her, uh, her research has been. But there is a neuroscientist who's uh, also a believer in Christ. Her name is Dr. Caroline Leaf. Dr. Caroline Leaf. Now, she has um, an unbelievable amount of research that she has put in over the last 30 to 35 years studying the brain and the mind. Because of her research, she has been asked to, to speak and present what, um, what she's found um, all over the world to the medical community to, um, to, and a whole number of different audiences, including churches and everywhere in between. And she was actually asked a few years ago to come and provide a TED Talk on her findings. Well, you can do some research into Dr. Caroline Leaf on your own and find just a, a plethora of YouTube videos and information out there that's from her. And you can watch those. And if, I'm telling you, if you go down, you're going to just be blown away by the research that she presents. She talks a thousand miles an hour and she knows it, which is funny. And, uh, she, but she is so knowledgeable. She's so smart. Um, if we were in the Boston area, uh, they would say she's wicked smart. Yeah, like that. So shout out to all the Pangburn family, Levi over there in the, in the Boston, in the Rhode Island area. But she is brilliant. Dr. Caroline Leaf is brilliant. <clears throat> and um, when she opens her mouth, all of this knowledge and information, because she's so passionate about this subject, it just flows out of her mouth. And so I'm not going to try to break down the high points of 35 years of research. But there is one thing that during my study really jumped out at me and I really felt compelled to share with us today to give us some insight to our thoughts, okay? So number one on your notes is this. Thoughts are things. Thoughts are things. Now, what does that mean, okay? So your brain is about the size, if you were to take uh, your, your hands and make a fist and put them together, your brain, your physical size of your brain is about that big in your head. If you have small hands, I'm not saying that you have a small brain. That's just what the doctor said, and that's what I'm <laughs> relaying to you. But so your brain, this, this physical mass that sits here in your head, <clears throat> actually has a portion of it that is reserved for short-term memories. And when you have a thought, any kind of thought, like, you know, medium rare steak is much better than well done steak. That's a, that's a thought. Um, a thought that I looked outside and, and the trees are green and it, they're just beautiful today. Or Matt's really bad at jokes. Whatever your thought might be, um, when you have a thought, it goes right into the, <clears throat> the short-term memory portion of your brain. And when you have that thought, it goes into that area of the brain. There's this microscopic tree growth. It looks like a tree 
that takes place. Now, you're not going to have roots if you had like a big idea coming out of your ears and nose or anything, so don't worry. It's microscopic. You need a very high-powered microscope to see these things, but these little tree-like growths are called a dendrite. Now, if you have your notes, I put a, a collage picture in there of three different pictures of what a dendrite looks like. It's like a little bulb that has these little branches uh, sprouting off of it. Every time that you have a thought and it goes into that area of the brain, the short-term memory, your brain creates that little tree-like structure, that dendrite in your head. <clears throat> that thought literally becomes a physical thing that takes up mental real estate in your brain. Is that fascinating? It was to me. Because to know that the thoughts that you're thinking right now and your brain is creating these creating these little dendrites, these little, these little tree-like growths to preserve the thoughts that you're having right now at this moment. <clears throat> so let's go a little bit further and take a look at just five facts that um, Dr. Caroline's research has shown about our brain, okay? A, a thought stays in temporary memory, the next line of your notes, a thought stays in temporary memory for approximately one to two days. Okay, B, spending seven to 10 minutes thinking about ideas and concepts increases the brain's growth to that thought that is now in your short-term memory. Let her see. After 21 days of thought, <clears throat> that idea, that thought that's in your short-term memory is moved into long-term memory. Your brain automatically does that. After 63 days, which is three of those 21-day cycles, the thought becomes a habit. The thought becomes a habit. And the fifth one, letter E, is this. It takes 21 to 28 days to break down toxic habits. <clears throat> now, I don't know about you, but after looking back at her findings on the human brain, I'm astounded at our Creator. He has designed you specifically so your brain would work like this. <clears throat> that you would have an area of short-term memory and long-term memory. And these, he that these thoughts would create dendrites in, in, in your brain. And it, if you would focus on it a certain amount of time or think about these from a 7 to 10 minute span every day, it would move to long-term memory. And the longer something becomes a long-term memory, it becomes a habit. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, designed by our Creator. It's astounding. It's astounding. With all of the knowledge we just read about how your head works and how your mind works and how your brain works with your thoughts, I want to bring your attention back to a scripture that all of us have probably heard at one point in time in our life. And it's this Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You may say, well, Matt, you're talking about the head and the scripture says the heart, but correct. But that word for heart in Psalms, or I'm sorry, in Proverbs 23, 7 is a general word that applies to the heart, the will, the soul, the attitude, and the mind. <clears throat> and the mind. It's the part of you that makes decisions, the mind. So, Knowing all of these facts that Dr. Leaf's team has, has come to know, and just these five that we've discussed right here, 
and I, the, the, the knowledge that thoughts are things, it totally gives us a deeper insight into Proverbs 23. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Why? Because there are things physically growing in your brain from your thoughts because thoughts are things. <clears throat> Point number two, what we focus on grows. What we focus on grows. Let's go back and look at um, the, the second finding from Dr. Leaf's, um, <clears throat> Dr. Leaf's uh, research. Spending seven to ten minutes thinking about ideas and concepts increases the brain's growth to that memory. So if you'll just picture this, this microscopic tree-like growth is going right here, and the more you spend time thinking about it, focusing on that thing, it grows bigger and bigger and bigger the more you think about it. What that tells us is this, what we focus on grows. <clears throat> so as believers in Christ, what we have to do is we have to determine what are we going to focus on. What thoughts, what way of thinking are we going to prioritize so that we can make sure we are thinking on the things, we are focusing on the things that God has laid out for us as his children. <clears throat> Let's go to Philippians 4, verses, uh, verse 8. I'm going to read it in the Old King James Version because if you've grown up in church, you've probably heard this scripture read in this way before. And it says this, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. He's telling us what to focus on. I'm going to read this same scripture in the New Living, in the New Living Translation because I like the way it kind of summarizes a little bit. It says this, And now, dear brothers and, and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. When I look at that scripture, I, I look at the very end and it says, think about the things that are worthy of praise. <clears throat> now, what is praise? If you've been in the church for any length of time, um, you may identify this word praise with the fast songs that happen at the beginning of the service that we clap to and might have a little bit of groove to that we can kind of rock with a little bit because we refer to the music portion of our service here in our country as praise and worship. So it, this particular meaning of this word praise does not mean the fast songs at the beginning of a church service. What it means <clears throat> is an expression of approval. That's the simple definition. So let me give you an example. If you had a, a younger sibling, and some of you have younger siblings, and you don't like them, but just, just pretend that you like them real, real quick. But if you had a younger sibling who uh, came home with a good grade from a report card and they were in school, and you saw that they did it. They did a. They got a great job on a test. They got an A, a hundred percent. And they came in and showed us. We would be inclined to celebrate their positive their accomplishment, and give them praise or an expression of approval for the work that they've done. <clears throat> this is right. What you should be doing. I knew that you could do this. You have such a great brain. You have such a great mind. You you studied so hard. You did this. You worked for it. That is great. Keep going. Those are all expressions of approval and praise that we would give to someone who is 
a younger sibling. So here's my question. Now that we understand what praise is, do we spend time thinking on things that should be encouraged or celebrated according to the definition in Scripture? This is kind of a tough question early in the message, but it's one that we that we have to we have to ask. Some of you may be sitting there and go, "Yeah, I know." Um, well, I don't know. Maybe. Well, let me let me give you a little example. If we were to take a television and put it on top of your head and plug that TV into the back of your skull, and everything that you spent time thinking about was broadcast on that screen for everybody to see, what would happen? Would you be someone who walked around and someone who read the screen went, oh, that's interesting, man. I never, that's great. Is that what you're thinking about? Or would you be another person who goes, unplug it, unplug the TV, turn it off. Don't let nobody see what's going on up in here. Don't let nobody see that. That's the question I'm asking is that, are we, are we spending time thinking about the things that should be encouraged and celebrated or praised according to what we just read in Scripture. Now, I know some people might be sitting there and going, Matt, well, you just don't understand me. I mean, my mind kind of immediately goes to the problem areas, kind of goes towards the the things that might be negative, and and, um, I just want to figure out problems, and so I pick systems apart, I pick, you know, my job apart, I pick my relationships apart, I pick people apart, And that's just how it is. It's just how I think. It's just how I'm wired. And you may have resigned yourself to believing that is just you. That's just how it is. But I want to encourage you that if you struggle in this area, and yes, I said struggle on purpose, I want to encourage you that Scripture tells us we have a choice. It's the next line there in your notes. We have a choice regarding our thoughts. We have a choice in what to believe. Let's read Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 24. So this is Paul talking to believers in Christ in the church in the city of Ephesus. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and harden their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitude. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. There's a bunch of of great stuff in this passage, but there's three areas I want to focus on that show us that we have a choice. Right up at the beginning, Paul says, live no longer as the Gentiles do. He's saying you have this area, this, this culture that you're wrapped up in, and you're living this way. But now I want you to stop doing that and change directions. He didn't say that it will just fall off and you'll just find the the right way to go. He says, no, you don't have to live like this anymore. Change your direction. There is an implication there of a choice for us. 
<clears throat> Later on, he says this. Um, Since you have heard about Jesus and, and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and former way of life. So what he's saying is that there is going to, you are still here in the flesh. And even though you have given your life to Christ and you are now a believer in Jesus, <clears throat> you are still struggling against this flesh, this, this fleshly nature that is in all of us. And he's saying, take that garbage off. He uses kind of a, uh, an analogy or a metaphor here. Take that off and throw it away. There is a choice for you to wear it or not. And again, he comes back to the same thing later. He says, um, instead, let the Spirit renew our thoughts and attitudes, put on our new nature. <clears throat> He's telling us, take it up and put it on. There is a choice for the way we think. Why is it important that we understand we have a choice? Because we can determine what we think about. We can determine what thoughts are, are our focus and what grows in us. One of the things that, <clears throat> that, I, that I read from Dr. Caroline Leaf is that if there is stuff in your short-term memory and you don't want to think about it, no problem. Just don't give any focus to it. Because if you don't focus or spend any time on it, in the next one to two days, your brain is going to realize this is not a focus or a thought. And that dendrite, that little growth, is going to evaporate into air and just disintegrate right out of your head. So if anyone has ever called you an airhead, or you have ever called anybody else an airhead, at one point in time, you're probably right. Because there was these thoughts that you didn't focus on, they literally turned to gas, to air, and they have exited your body physically. It's astounding, and it's important, because what we focus on grows, and what we ignore eventually is released. <clears throat> Number three, it's our final point for the message today, is this. Our mind is renewed by God's Word. Our mind is renewed, the next line in your notes there, by God's Word. <clears throat> now earlier, we read Philippians chapter 4, verses 8. We read it in the King James Version, and in, in that passage, there were six categories. Whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, and a good report. Think on these things. <clears throat> so there, here we have six different categories that we can use almost as a six-layer filter to pour our thoughts through and say, should I be thinking about these things? <clears throat> Scripture doesn't just tell us what to think about. One of the beauties of Scripture, one of the many beauties of Scripture, is it also gives us examples of what it looks like and statements that, of what it sounds like to participate in thinking this way. <clears throat> Let's quickly go through these six categories. Whatsoever things are true. John 14, 6, Jesus proclaims He is the way, the truth, and the life. Notice he doesn't say he's a way or a truth or a life. <clears throat> what he's saying here is there is one way. There is one truth. See, our culture has fallen in love, and even some people in the church have fallen in love with this idea of you have your truth and I have my truth. And what's true for you is not necessarily true for me, and it's not necessarily true for someone else or true for anyone else in the group. <clears throat> 
There's all, everyone has their own truth. And I'm here to tell you that according to scripture, this is not, this is false. It's not true because there is the truth. We may have our experience. We may have our perspective or our opinion, or we may know the details of what happened to us, but just because we formed an opinion or a perspective on a situation that we went through in our life or we watched others go through does not mean that our perspective on it is the truth. We have to come back to God's word, to scripture, which is completely 100% God-breathed and inspired. It is infallible. And we are to, to realize and draw the comparison between what we believe is the truth and what is really the truth. Whatsoever things are honest. Numbers twenty three nineteen. God is not a man that he should lie. Lying is completely out of God's nature and character. He cannot lie. He's not a man that he should lie. Whatsoever things are just, Micah 6, 8. The prophet of the Lord is speaking to the children of Israel as God has put something in his heart as a prophet to say to his children. He says this, Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Act justly. Let, let, the, let the attitudes and behaviors of our life reflect the justice that can be found in Christ. Whatsoever things are pure, Psalm 51.10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David is crying out, out of, after having an adulterous affair with a woman and putting her husband to death so he could be with her and cover up his deeds he is found out in some of the most hideous sins imaginable. And he cries out to God, please forgive me and create in me a pure heart because he knows that he has followed the things of his flesh. Whatsoever things are lovely, Psalms 84 uh, 1 exclaims this, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord. Wherever he is is beautiful. Wherever he is is honest. Wherever he is, is peaceful. And the last one, whatsoever things are of good report, Acts 14, 7, and there they preached the good news. <clears throat> there they preached the good news. Who were they? The apostles and the followers of Christ went out and proclaimed the truth of the gospel. And my friend, there is no more, there is no more, uh, let me gr say this grammatically incorrect. There is no more gooder news or a gooder report. There's no more of a good report than the gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I love God's word because it just doesn't tell us the categories of things that we should be thinking. It gives specific examples of these categories and actions and commands from our loving Father to us and to His children. <clears throat> There's a counseling center in Florida that um, put a chart and definitions together that outlines the impact that our thoughts have on our feelings and behavior. And as I read this, I thought it was very interesting. <clears throat> and they have like a little chart and the thoughts are at the top and the feelings and behavior at the bottom. And the thought arrows are the things that goes to both categories. And I want you to listen to their, um, their clinical definition 
of thoughts, feelings, and behaviors and see if we can find a correlation to what we know from Scripture. Thoughts are comprised of information that our brain takes in and sends to our mind. The mind acts as a gatekeeper of the computed information. It determines which information is relevant and thus what will become our mental focus. Those thoughts can very easily become beliefs that can affect our feelings in a positive or negative way. One of the things I found interesting about this definition, it's something that um, Dr. Caroline Leaf spends a a large amount of time identifying and describing is this. There is a difference between your brain and your mind. So your mind's part of your soul, your mind, will, and emotions. That's the part where you are making the decisions, the decision part of you that looks at the thoughts that are coming into your head and says, am I going to focus on those or not? So you're not responsible for every thought that pops into your head. You are responsible for what you do with them. If you have a bunch of thoughts that are coming in and they're gathering information from what's around you or, or what you've been involved in or what you repeatedly have done for, for a long period of time, <clears throat> these thoughts are coming into your head. You have the choice, as we learned earlier, am I going to think about these things or am I going to run them through the filter of these six categories that I find in the scripture and say, is this something I should be focusing my thinking on? Listen to their definition of feelings. They are the emotional response to thoughts and behaviors. And behaviors are the actions generated from our thoughts and feeling. So here, what we're finding in Dr. Lee's research and with this definition from this counseling center, we're finding that the clinical definition of thoughts, feelings, emotions, our mind, and everything of that sort is basically confirming what Scripture long since has given us the wisdom and insight to. The Proverbs were written by Solomon hundreds of years before Christ. The categories that we've been given by Paul were written more than 1,900 years ago. And all of the clinical data, all of the research is coming forward. And when you look at it objectively, you will find that it's confirming what Jesus has given us as directions and commandments in Scripture. It's amazing. The bottom line is this. Thoughts have a direct impact on feelings and behavior. I'm going to say that one more time. It's in your notes, but I want to repeat it so we get it. Thoughts have a direct impact on our feelings and behavior. You know, if you're somebody who constantly struggles with fear or you're kind of afraid all the time or anxiety or being down, um, uh, you you know, you have this kind of like cloud that you kind of feel like you're walking around all the time in. you're kind of just can't really get out of it, can't really climb out of it. I want you to, I want to lay something in front of you for you to consider. What are you thinking about? Could these feelings and behaviors that you're experiencing right now be a product of what we're focusing on and what we're thinking? Are those things lining up with God's Word and what we see here clearly laid out in the book of Philippians? 
Or are they things that are ungodly, unholy? They're things that are opposite of the way we've been designed and what the Lord is asking us in a relationship and has given us commands to follow. Is there a possibility those thoughts and those, the focus of our thinking and the way of thinking is bringing us down? <clears throat> now, I'm not talking about if you have a, uh, like a clinical diagnosis of, or, a ment- or a mental or an emotional condition that a doctor has determined you know, needs some type of certain treatment or therapy. You obey what the doctor is telling you. God has given us them as a gift. But for everyone else who doesn't have, a, have this a medically diagnosed um, condition, who struggle with these things, I really wonder if we were to take an assessment of our thoughts and what we're thinking on, are they really things that are true, honest, just, lovely, a good report? Do they really fit the purity that we're after as one of these conditions? Are our thoughts, are the things that we're focusing on with our thinking, the way we are thinking, is it on the things that Scripture lines out for us, or are we constantly being distracted by cares of this world and the things that our flesh wants? If we're constantly focusing on the thoughts and giving our way of thinking to ideas that say life is terrible, everyone is against me, where is God? I am afraid of the, the future. I, don't, I'm, I have fear of the unknown. <clears throat> Nothing is ever going to change. Everybody treats me this way. Nothing is ever going to, to really work out for me. My friend, are those the words that we find in Scripture? <clears throat> because whether we're thinking about the Scripture or we're thinking about this, regardless, those thoughts are directly impacting our actions our attitudes, our feelings, and our behavior. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here, okay? Simply trying to manipulate our own self into always giving happy thoughts or relying on the power of positive thinking, quote-unquote, is not what we're commanded to do as believers. Because away from Scripture, away from God, how do we know what is truly good? How do we know what will ultimately make us happy? Many people are, are, don't know how to deal with some of the situations they're, on, they're, they're dealing with in life, and they go, I just need happiness right now, and they run down some path that is opposite of what God has instructed us to do. They, they give their mind to thinking about things that are opposite of God's Word, and they may temporarily for a night or for a day or two kind of experience some type of happiness through their flesh, but every single time when we pursue fleshly endeavors to try to give us happiness, the happiness dissolves, it goes away, and we are still left with the thoughts that we're wrestling with. We're left with the ways that we're thinking. We're left with the the sin that is in our life. We are still left with it. We can't just pursue what we think makes us happy or what we think is good. My friends, God is good. Jesus, He is the perfect example of goodness. 
One of the fruits of the Spirit, of becoming a believer and, and having a, becoming born again, one of the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Those things arrive and arise from the Spirit of God in us and us looking at His Word. <clears throat> Why do I consistently encourage us, especially during this message, to look at our feelings and the way we are thinking and our thoughts and compare them to Scripture. Because we as people are constantly tempted to compare our life the way we think and the thoughts we're having to someone else. We compare them to other people. We compare them to uh, books that we may have uh, read and, and, and these self-help um, opportunities or these, these editorial um, people that they, they write things online to say, you should be thinking like this. And what you should be doing if you're doing this, right, is thinking like this. My friend, we should not be comparing our life, our thoughts, our patterns, our beliefs to them. We should be opening up God's Word and comparing our life, our thoughts, and our minds, and the way we think to Scripture and to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who walked this earth and lived for us. Okay, Matt, I'm in. I'm going to change my thinking, okay? I'm going to run it through these categories, and I'm going to do this work, and I'm going to try to change what I'm thinking about uh, what happens when I do that. What happens when I do that? I'm glad you asked. Because we've been spending the majority of our time at Philippians 4, verses 8, but let's read one more verse, Philippians 4, 9, together. Keep putting into practice all that you learned from me. Again, this is Paul talking to a, a, a church of believers in Christ in Philippi. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, including the ways of thinking that he just outlined one verse earlier. Here's the key that I want you to understand. Then the God of peace will be with you. I don't know about you, but that is the payoff. The God of peace is going to be with me. If I follow his commands, if I'm taking care of what's going on in my head and I'm thinking about the things he's, he's saying that are more profitable and beneficial for me as his creation, as his child to think about, I get the God of peace with me, then yes, sign me up for that every day and twice on Sunday. Do it. I need that peace because I, have, I know people I have heard stories of people and I have watched interviews from people who were wildly wealthy, who have been very successful in their chosen profession or career, that everything materially around them, if you would look at them and go, man, they got the house, the cars, the, the, the relationship, the marriage, the kids, everything that everybody wants. And then when you talk to them and get them to a point of honest intimacy, there's no peace because they're pursuing that instead of God. Having those things is not a problem, my friends. It's when the problem is when those things have you. And you know that the things have you when they dominate your thoughts. They dominate the way you're thinking. They dominate the focus of your mind. I would rather have the peace 
than all the material possessions and lay my head down at night and walk through the day with torture and unsettled, gripping anxiety and fear, constantly pursuing for some type of peace. But my friends, perfect peace is only found in God through a relationship with Him that can only be had through faith in Jesus Christ. When the God of peace is with you, there's peace. When the good shepherd shows up, he brings peace. When the prince of peace shows up, he brings peace. When the true and living only God who defined himself as the way, the truth, and the life shows up, he brings peace. When the almighty God shows up for his kids, when those who are in relationship with him, when he shows up, my friends, there is peace. There is peace. I watched a interview with a certain person who if I said their name you would all know him so I'm not going to do it but a person who was talking about the the they're at the pinnacle of their career and everybody sees them everybody knows that they're like you know the number one person in their chosen field and they keep making all these you know strides forward and 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 so that everybody else would know who they are and they said man you have all this stuff, you're constantly, you know, succeeding at your career of your chosen profession. You got all this money, everything's going on. You got the, all the perfect stuff that everybody wants. What's that like? And he looked at the interviewer dead in her face and said, I often ask myself, is this it? Like pursuing all this and getting to the top of the mountain, this is it? This is all there is? And my friends, if that's you, you pursued all these things. And you're still going, is that it? Then the God of peace hasn't yet shown up. How do you get Him? You invite Him to come. You surrender your life. You become a believer in Jesus Christ. You become born again, a true believer. You confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. You make Him the Lord of your life. You begin to follow His commands. And then watch the supernatural peace that only comes from Him and His Holy Spirit descend on you in a way that is beyond description and compare. How does the God of peace show up. One of the ways that Paul lines out for us is this. Fix our thoughts. Think on the things that he listed in the scripture. If you continue to take in things that are not of God, if I'm sorry, if we continue to take in things that are not of God, we will find ungodly things will continue to pop up in our thoughts. <clears throat> Why do we need to spend the time today to talk about the area of our head, the, 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 the place where our thoughts grow? Because much like that plot of land that I had to work as a 12-year-old kid in the 4-H club that needed the weeds pulled, we're going to have to take a survey of our own mind and our thoughts and go, what am I allowing to grow there? 
If I don't go out and pull the weeds, I'm allowing them to stay. And what we read last week was that if we allow those weeds to stay, they can grip and choke the life out of the seed of God's Word that's been planted in all of us. They can prevent the fruit from being produced in your life. Does the relationship we have with our Lord matter? If I were to sit down or with every person that's watching or listening to this and ask you this question one-on-one, my response is that almost all of you, if not every single one of you, would say, absolutely. Of course this relationship with God matters to me. Definitely. That's not even a question. And if that's true, then the seeds of God's Word are growing, they're planted in you, and they are growing. But let me ask you a few questions. Will we do the very real and tedious but necessary work of removing the weeds, the destructive thoughts and ways of thinking from our head. Will we do what that first scripture we read in Corinthians says? Will we take captive every thought and force it to submit to Christ? You're not not at the mercy of your thoughts, my friends. You have a choice like we talked about earlier, and you can take that with the power of of God that's in you. The Holy Spirit resides in you, and He can show you how to subdue those things and submit them to Christ. Will we reject the ungodly thoughts and spend our time focusing on the things that Scripture has outlined for us as believers? Will we consistently deposit the goodness of God's Word to help us reshape our thinking? Those are not questions that I want you to necessarily answer or send in answers or even write in the comments if you're watching this live. I just want you to ask yourself. And then I want to ask one final question as we wrap up here today. Are there any ways of thinking we currently have that we need to remove and or ask the Lord to help us remove? There are some things in some of us, some thoughts, some ways of thinking that we kind of think are off hidden in the corner of our soul in our mind and we're going, I don't really need to get get rid of that one. That's just kind of happening up here. My friend... That is, you are risking losing part of the seed of God's word and his relationship with you in his life, in your life. Are there things that are really tiny weeds? Maybe it's just been something that has been happening over the last couple days or maybe the last week and you've been kind of giving some thought to it and the more you spend time thinking about that thing, whatever it is, if it's not lining up with scripture, if we would classify it as not profitable, It's not worthy of praise, not worthy of being celebrated. Is there anything like that growing in you? Is there something that you said, forget it, I've been thinking about this forever and it's been growing for years. If there's anything like that in you, I'm going to encourage you to go with your Bible somewhere by yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what these things are. The things maybe we've become comfortable with 
living and eating up some of our relationship with God, but we have some more over here, so we just kind of let that go. Is there anything that destructive that needs to be pulled up? And I'm not talking about just cut off. I'm talking about digging in and pulling that thought up, that way of thinking up from the root and getting rid of it. Is there anything like that that has to happen in us? If you say, yes, Matt, I, yes, there are some things in me that need to, that need to, to I, that are like these weeds, I need to pull them out. What should I do? <clears throat> well, the word repent quite literally means to change one's mind. Repent of those thoughts. Go to the Lord and repent. Tell Him, I, I, I ask Him for forgiveness, which He'll freely give when you ask. Then go to this area of your life and say, God, help me get rid of these things. And then pull them up. Repent. Change your mind. Change the things we focus on. Change the things that are dominating our thoughts. Change those. And get in His Word and focus on the things He has given us as His children to believe on. I want to encourage you to do the repenting that we just talked about and no longer allow those things to grow.